Genesis. You mean we're still in Genesis? Yes, we are. Genesis chapter 29. Today, we're looking through verses 1 through 30. As the plot thickens, you have this incredible information from Moses giving details about the first things. Verse 1 of 29, Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, well, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then, then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bones and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, well, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It was better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife and that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilchah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. 
So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. May the Lord add his blessing at the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Well, I, uh, I do love the fall. I didn't enjoy all the wind blowing all the leaves around. I don't know about you. I couldn't hardly open my garage door yesterday. So many leaves in front of it. But I also love the springtime with all the new life that blooms and grows. Spring, it's a ways off at this point, isn't it? Unfortunately, instead of having a green thumb, as I'm sure many of you have, I have what I would call a brown thumb. Some might say I have a black thumb. When it comes to gardening, growing plants and vegetables and flower pots and gardens, for some reason, I'm not able to bring much life to plant life. I was able to sustain a philodendron once for several years only because they are pretty hardy and mostly indestructible. Otherwise, I have a tendency to bring a scorched earth policy to my greenery when I plant things. However, in my life, there are things that I have planted where I have seen an incredible bumper crop, as it were. I've sown well by God's grace in my marriage. I've sown well with my children. I've been so blessed with God's amazing grace over the years. I've sown well with my finances over the years so as to be able to afford a home and vehicles. Even when things were tight, God always blessed us, in some cases miraculously sustaining us financially over the years. And I've sown well with my peer group, with my friends over the years. I have dear friends I know I could call on in a heartbeat who would come to my rescue if I was in trouble. Maybe you have friends like that that you've sown in your life. But it would also be accurate to say that there are also things over the years that I have sown in my life that have produced a bumper crop of weeds, thorns, thistles, that constantly need to be cut down, weed-whacked and eradicated. Over the years, I've wrestled with various flawed character traits and moral failures. Every spring, I don't know about you, but I get a bazillion dandelions in my yard that have to be dealt with. And uh, some of the weeds that we have in our own lives are like these dandelion fields that just keep coming, along with weeds, thorns, and thistles that continue to pop up in the garden of my life that I need to constantly cultivate out of my life so the weeds don't take over the good things that are growing in my garden. But here's what we know with certainty based on God's moral economy. If you plant it, whatever it is, and allow it to take root, it will grow. If you cultivate it, it will flourish. If you water and nurture it, it will bear fruit for good or for ill. And as we wrestle with the bad fruit of our selfishness and our fleshly desires and attitudes that wage war against God, sometimes it just seems too hard to keep whacking all the weeds that we're surrounded by in our lives. Just when you hack one down, another pops up, it seems. And we are tempted to just give up and forsake our journey in cultivating Christ-like righteousness and purity. As we'll see today in our study, sometimes things become so difficult that we just want to give up. But we need to faithfully continue our journey with God. He will most certainly guide us and bless us as we put our trust in him and keep following him no matter what. God's ultimate purpose is to grow and mature us for his glory. We've gone back to the beginning in our study of the book of Genesis. Today we're going to talk about reaping what you sow. 
In Genesis 3.15, we were promised that a child would be coming through the seed of a woman who would destroy the evil one once and for all. This redeemer would be bruised on the heel but would ultimately crush the serpent's head. And as God's sovereign plan unfolds throughout the book of Genesis, we see how Satan continues to attack the sea line, seeking to destroy God's plan of redemption for his people. From Adam, the line of God's promised redeemer eventually and sovereignly finds its way to Abraham. From Abraham to Isaac. And now in our study, the sea line comes to Jacob, the twin brother of Esau. And we know that Jacob is not the promised redeemer. He's not the Messiah because he himself is corrupted by the evil one. He is full of sin and rebellion, but now the sea line is in jeopardy once more because he has enraged his, his twin brother Esau against him through stealing Esau's birthright and blessing. Two weeks ago, we saw how God came to Jacob in a vision. He saw the, the very gateway to, to heaven, this, this ladder into the sky, which is Christ. And God promised his presence in Jacob's life, and Jacob pledged his commitment to God now Jacob continues his journey in this portion of scripture we just read in search of a wife from his own people, a wife that will help bring about the promised seed of redemption. Today, I have four spiritual truths from this text that will help all of us in our faith journey as we recognize that we will indeed reap what we sow. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word now, we ask that you would move in our midst by the power of your spirit, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth, that you'd open your word to us by your spirit. Lord, we need help. Help us not to miss anything you might have for us today. Be our guide, be our teacher. Have your way in our hearts, we ask. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name, amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of four that we're gonna look at today. First of all, we need to faithfully continue our journey with God. Sometimes we come to places where we kind of feel like, man, I don't think I can go on anymore. I'm too tired. This is too hard, following him. Notice what it says in verse one. Then Jacob went on his journey. He continued his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east, Jacob has come to realize that his twin brother Esau wants to kill him, so he's following his mother's instruction and heading north to Haran to find his mother's brother's family. But the night before, God had promised his presence to Jacob, and God has promised his presence to you. Based on God's promises of his presence, we see in Genesis 28, 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. That's what God said and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you, God says, until I have done what I have promised you. We have this incredible promise that no matter where you are on your journey, he is with you if you are in Christ. Hebrews 12 goes like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider this Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the middle of our journey, we get tired, and we go, well, I don't know if I can keep going. Would you consider Jesus and what he's done for us? 
He endured. He kept cruising. He kept going all the way to the cross. We need to faithfully continue our journey with him. But not only that, God will guide us as we put our trust in him. We're not alone. He's with us, and he's guiding us in the midst of all that we're going through. First of all, here he will, he will guide us in even the little things. Here's Jacob on this journey, and he's looking for something, and notice the details of what he ends up finding initially. Verse 2, as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered, and the stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. He's thirsty from his journey. He needs a drink at that particular time, at that particular well. A picture of God's sovereignty. You recall the account of Jesus meeting the woman at the well in the New Testament, in John's Gospel, John chapter 4. And we kind of look, well, wasn't that an interesting coincidence that that took place? No, Jesus met that woman specifically for his purposes at that time and that moment. No detail is missing. And we kind of say, well, what are the odds of his showing up at the very well that his family members are going to even be at? What are the odds of that? Well, if God is in the mix, I'd suggest 100%. Right? You know, remember Jonah when the lot fell on Jonah? What were the odds of that? 100%. R.C. Sproul wrote a book, one of my favorite theologians. He, he, the title of the book is Not a Chance. If God is at work in all things, it's not left up to chance if there is a sovereign God overseeing all that there is. Even in the smallest details, he will guide us even in the little things. But secondly here, he will guide us to the place he wants us to be. In verse four we read, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. <gasps> That's the place I'm trying to get to. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahar? They said, we know him. <gasps> you know him? What are the odds of this? 100%. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, oh, yeah, it's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Ah, maybe a wife? Awesome. This is incredible. Everything's happening. This is what I was hoping for. He will guide us to the place he wants us to be. He'll deal with it. He can handle it even in the little things. God is way more sovereign over things than we think he is. He's not just mostly sovereign. He's completely, entirely sovereign, and we can trust him. The hard thing for us is like, well, when? When will he do these things? And I've got a great answer for you. I don't know. I don't know. But he does. Why? Because he's God. He can handle it, right? The question is, will we trust him in that in the midst of our journey? That's the hard piece. But thirdly here, he will bring about his sovereign plan in our lives. You can count on that. He's God. Will you rest in that? Notice what it says in verse 7. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. Go pasture them. What's going on here? 
he just found out there's a woman coming and he sees all these guys around with all the sheep. He goes, hey, could you guys get the sheep out of here? Could you just leave? This is a little manipulative, isn't it? I don't need you guys hanging around. I got plans. I don't know who she is, never met her, but I got plans, believe me. It's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. What are the sheep? So what did the guys say? Verse 8. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well and then the water, and then we water the sheep. So understand how this works? Apparently this is a big, it's a big stone. And it doesn't take just one guy. It takes several guys to move the stone, to open the well. And when they're done, they close it. But the reality here in terms of what we can take away from this applicationally is we don't have to become manipulative in what God's doing. We don't have to become manipulative in our circumstances. Clearly, once Jacob finds out that Laban's daughter Rachel is on the way, he attempts to have the men water their sheep and get out of there. Apparently, his preference is to speak to Rachel alone, but his effort is thwarted by the shepherds. Not enough men to move the stone, so we wait. You can imagine, oh, you guys, why don't you just leave? You ever get frustrated in your circumstances? Oh, come on. It's not going the way I want it to. Even when we don't think things are going our way, God is still bringing about his plan. The question is, will we trust him? Are you a manipulator? Are you one of those? Constantly trying to rearrange things for your own benefit? Make sure that you get the biggest piece of pie when the pie tray comes around? Of course, we say, oh, I'm really making these decisions and I'm acting this way to benefit everyone else. As we say, one for you and two for me. One for you, two for me. Again, we're a little manipulative sometimes. God will guide us as we put our trust in him. We don't need to become manipulative as Jacob does for a moment here. Hey, could you guys leave for a minute? You're in my way. But thirdly here, God will bless us with his goodness as we follow him. Will we trust him? He will take care of us in all things. First of all here, he will bring the right people into our lives at the right time. Case in point, enter Rachel. Verse nine, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. Can we trust God with our circumstances and our relationships for his timing on things? Years ago, I took an offhand trip to Taylor University to visit a friend. I had no idea I was going to be meeting my wife that day. But God did. Thank you, God. Outrageously blessed. Can God handle it? Yeah. He has, and he did. He'll bring the right people in our lives at the right time. I can't tell you how many times there are people in my life to this day that I look back and go, man, God, how, you put them, that person right when I needed that person at the right place, right time, because God can handle that. But secondly, he will help us do great, wonderful things. Look what happens here. Verse 10, now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's his mother's brother, by the way, I think they're trying to make a point here. Mother's brother, mother's brother, hello, this matters. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. I don't need a bunch of guys. Okay, let's do this. He does it himself. I got this. 
There's going to be a bunch of guys. You know, a little show off, don't you think? We do that sometimes. And he waters Laban's flock. By the way, this is beautiful. As he moves the stone, he waters the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Apparently, we're under the impression that it should take several, several men to move the stone, but Jacob handles it himself. And then he does this amazing thing where he waters the flocks. And you go, wow, that is amazing. Why is that so amazing? Does anybody know why that's so... We'll just pretend we're in a classroom for a second. Does anybody know why that's so amazing that he decided to water the flocks? Why? Well, it's woman's work, supposedly. But why? Why is it remarkable? What did his mother do? Remember when... Isaac's servant went to find a wife, and Rebecca ends up feeding the whole caravan, like mother, like son in this case. Similar to his mother, Rebecca, who watered all of Abraham's servants' camels, Jacob ends up watering all of Laban's sheep. It's beautiful. But thirdly here, not only will he bring the right people in our lives at the right time and help us to do great and wonderful things, he will bless us with enduring and meaningful relationships. So at this moment, in verse 11, a bit forward, wouldn't you think? Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. This is an emotional moment. Remember, he's running for his life. He's longing for anywhere he can belong because he doesn't have a place. My brother wants to kill me, and here's someone where I could maybe belong with this person who cares about me, and And so I demonstrate affection, and I am undone. He's now weeping. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father, so she's overwhelmed. She's not, well, yeah, I'll go talk to dad. No, boom, she's running to dad. This is huge. How has God blessed you with deeply meaningful relationships over the years? I, I look back on my life, and I think of dear people, they don't mean much to you, but they mean the world to me. And I know you've got people like that too. I think of my best buddy, Dan Learned. We made it through high school together as Christian kids, by God's grace. And the Lord protected us and took care of us. And Dan was my best man at my wedding, and I was the best man at his wedding. Man, I know if I call Dan, he'll be there. Incredible pastors over the years that I've had. Names that mean nothing to you but mean the world to me because they taught me God's word. Help me understand what matters in life. Whether it's Dr. Bruce Dunn or Tom Condren, my youth guy, or uh, Bill Bartz and Don Christensen or Paul Klein. You don't know these guys. These guys are everything to me. But God put them in my life for his purposes at just the right time. My dear friend Bill Vandegeesen, I just, spent, I just spent the day, it was funny, in light of these things that I'm saying, I spent the day with Bill Vandegeesen yesterday, last weekend, I spent the weekend with my friend Dan Learned. These dear friends who are still a part of my world. And then people that we've brought with us over the years at different churches that we served. We have dear friends that are way back at the first church I ever served at. Friends in Europe 
friends in Illinois, dear ones to us. He blesses us with enduring and meaningful relationships. And for me, the most meaningful, the most enduring is my lovely wife. I'm not worthy of such things. God will bless us with his goodness as we follow him. But lastly this morning, and don't miss this, God's ultimate purpose is to grow and mature us. First of all here, he will teach us his ways. And by the way, there's no better teacher than God. Verse 13, look what happens. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. This is a big deal. Everybody's running to and fro to get to these people. And they embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And, And he stayed with him a month. We are related. We are kinsmen. You're my sister's son. You're my sister's brother. You're my mom's brother, I should say. It appears all is going very well in this moment for Jacob and that Jacob isn't going to have any consequences whatsoever for his wrongfully manipulating and deceiving his brother Esau out of his birthright and blessing. Don't forget that Jacob has come to this place entirely by his own devices and deceptions. We can't forget God's sovereignty, God's eternal economy, God's moral government over the affairs of men. Throughout Scripture, we are taught these lessons. Proverbs 13, 15, God, good sense rather, good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Are you hearing that? Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. Proverbs 4, 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Jeremiah 2, 19, your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. In other words, God is going to deal with you. If you're determined to be in rebellion and do your own thing and try to arrange the world to suit you, you lose. He will teach us his ways and his time. And that's precisely what's going to happen now with our dear friend Jacob, who secondly here, He, that is God, has a way of teaching us like no one else can. You saw what happened as I read it to you just a moment ago. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. That's who we met first, right? And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. And boy, what a feast it must have been. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. It was such a feast that he had no clue who he's with. Quite a party, wouldn't you say? Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. Stay tuned for that discussion later. 
And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Ah, I thought I was supposed to get Rachel. Ah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, well, you know, it's not so done in our country. That's not how we do it. To give you the younger before the firstborn, complete the week of this one, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. How's that working for you? Know with certainty that God will not be mocked in your life. God will ultimately always have his way. After tricking Esau out of his birthright and blessing, the ultimate irony here is now Jacob has been tricked into 14 years of service under Laban. First, notice the nature of universal ethics from God. Even a scoundrel knows when he's been scandalized. Even a thief knows when he's been robbed. Notice, secondly, God's ultimate irony. Jacob, the secondborn, steals his twin brother Esau's birthright and blessing. And now Laban gives his firstborn Leah to Jacob in place of his secondborn Rachel and requires seven more years of servitude from Jacob for her. Thus, as Jacob didn't respect the rights of his firstborn brother, he is now required to respect the rights of the firstborn Leah. Jacob the shyster has now officially been outshysted, hasn't he? Notice how long it took for God to be vindicated through Jacob's life. And by the way, how long does it take? Well, in this case, as long as it took. That's how long it takes. Beloved, we are dealing with a holy, all-powerful, all-wise God who will always win. Paul writes this in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. In other words, basically, get a clue, <laughs> okay? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked, Paul writes. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Over the years as a pastor, I've seen people who have planted some things 15, 20 years earlier that weren't dealt with before God that now all of a sudden show up full of grown briars and thorns in life. And by the way, we're not talking about karma here. Unfortunately, Christians speak about karma and they're doing so unadvisedly and in error. In Eastern religions, karma is seen as the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence, viewed as deciding their future fate in existences. The goal being building up good karma, avoiding bad karma in this earthly life to create a better existence in the next earthly life. Rather, we are talking about God's moral economy as it relates to the cause and effect issues associated with how our own sin affects us and others right now and for eternity, which, by the way, is a much bigger deal by a long shot. Can God forgive your sin? Absolutely. That is the entire message of the cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But know with certainty that God has placed sovereign consequences in this life and for eternity for our rebellion and sin against him now. Why? To teach us. 
to teach us his ways and for us to learn his counsel and ultimately to be led unto righteousness in Christ. So if you're a liar, can God forgive that? Sure, but now no one's going to believe you. That's the consequence, is it not? If you're an adulterer or an adulteress, you may lose your spouse altogether. You might destroy your marriage in the process or at the very least, what remains of your marriage, your spouse won't readily be able to trust you. If you're abusive with your children, you can expect to be alone one day. You steal and embezzle, you're probably going to jail. These are the natural consequences that take place because of sin. Can you be forgiven from him? Absolutely, but in God's economy, there are consequences that we must deal with. I know one man years ago, he was at our church in Wisconsin before we went into ministry, he started embezzling from his company and he took all the money that he got from the company and he bought cases and cases and cases of baseball cards. His whole basement was full of baseball cards, cases of them. And of course he was found out and you know what? He went to jail. That's what happens to embezzlers. Don't go there, don't do that. There are consequences. Jesus made it very clear. There's two trees. Good tree, bad tree. It's not real complicated. There's two trees. Good tree, bad tree. And he says, the good tree will not produce bad fruit. And the bad tree can't and won't produce good fruit. He says it both ways. Good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. This is not complicated. But for some reason, we have this idea that, well, I'm going to eat of the bad tree and I'm going to get good fruit out of it. No, you won't. Can't. Not possible. Try as you may. Empty set. Zero. Nada. Nil. Nothing. But the promise, the beautiful promise is that as we eat of his good tree, the good fruit will come. Bank your life on that. Oh, that we'd learn. Oh, that we'd grow. God has ordained that we should grow. He has a way of teaching us like no one else can. He will teach us his ways and his time. This is so important. Job 4.8, Job writes this, as I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Lastly here, in all that we've talked about, we need to ultimately submit to God's work in our lives. And that's exactly what Jacob ends up. That's where he ends up, verse 28. Jacob did so. He completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Do you think there's gonna be some consequences now? You better believe it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I mean, it's going to be a giant soap opera is what it's going to be. It's going to be awful. It's interesting to note that all that Jacob sought in receiving the birthright and blessing from Jacob was already promised him from God way back in the beginning of Genesis 25, verse 23. But he was unwilling to wait, and now he finds himself literally in a hot mess wherein God will show himself to be God and worthy of Jacob's trust. God is gonna deal with them. And by the way, God is intent on dealing with you. Why? He loves you. He loves you too much to leave you where you were. 
And so when you kick against the goads as he's trying to, hey, go this way, go this way, and we go, I don't want to go that way. He deals with us, and he has his way. Why? Because he's God. By the way, praise God when he finally gets his way. Just thank him. Quit fighting him on it. Just agree with him. Go where he wants you to go, and then watch God do awesome things. What crops do you have growing in the garden of your life? What needs to be nourished and cultivated? What needs to be weeded out and eradicated? Maybe you need to get a big weed whacker and go to town. Take it out by the roots. Will you let the gardener in and let him weed your garden so that you can grow into something beautiful to be used for his purposes? Beloved, sometimes things become so difficult that we just want to give up, but we need to faithfully continue our journey with God. He will guide us and bless us as we put our trust in him and keep following after him. God's ultimate purpose is to grow and mature us for his glory. I ask you, what are you sowing today? As we come to the Lord's table, Jesus has some great words for us about how we can actually flourish. The question is, uh, how are you sowing? How are you planting? Are you bearing fruit? Are you longing to bear awesome fruit? Here's what Jesus says in John 15, 4. Abide in me. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You go, whoa. I long to do something with him, for him. We have a moment here where we can reflect on our abiding in him as we remember who he is and what he's done for us. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate in the two elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the body of Christ broken for you and the cup which represents his shed blood on your behalf. If you have children with you, make sure they understand the gospel. Make sure that they've made a profession of faith. And if they haven't, I encourage you to let the elements pass your children by until such time as they understand the nature of the gospel and then they can participate in a meaningful way. The apostle Paul in his letter, his first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes... Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. And then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In this warning, there are two potential concerns partaking potentially in an unworthy manner, the text says. Perhaps you have professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright rebellion against him right now. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are currently holding in contempt with how you're living. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, 
you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you have made things right with God in your heart. But even better would, would be for you to make things right right now with God through confession, repentance, and commitment. And then we invite you to freely join us in this remembrance. The other possibility is maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you're an unbeliever. Perhaps you've never given yourself to him. If this is the case, I would encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want, you to, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in through hypocrisy. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going and turn to Christ in faith, even right now. Find your salvation in him right now in this very moment. Receive him as your Lord and Savior through faith. Invite him into your heart and life, even right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please, we invite you to join us in this remembrance. As the elements of the bread and cup are passed and distributed today, please note that both elements are contained in two cups that are stacked together. You're going to get both cups when you reach for them. So please make sure you get both cups that are stacked together. As we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup, please hold both elements as you are served, and we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. So this time I'd like to invite the elders to come forward to serve. Go ahead and serve, gentlemen. Go ahead and, go ahead and begin. As they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Would you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tom Elliott to pray for the bread which was broken for us. Please take and eat.
In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crowfoot to pray for the cup which was poured out for us. your sacrifice, particularly here of your lifeblood being shed. We know that that was your plan and your way for our sins to be covered, to be forgiven, that Christ poured out his blood in our place. Lord, be with each one. Continue to guide and direct and help, and just thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please stand as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the word we heard today and the challenge that we have in it. That we would understand that we will certainly reap what we sow. But Lord, may it be said of us that we would be found abiding in you. And in abiding in you that we would yet bear much fruit. So Lord, help us to eliminate those things that need to be eliminated from our life and to plant those things that are awesome and beautiful in your sight and to walk in them by your grace. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for being our redeemer, our savior, our creator. We want you to have all the praise today. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.